Thanks for tuning in to Next Level Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. What's up, Next Level? How y'all doing today? So uh, we are continuing our our teaching series at the movies, uh, uh, Christmas edition. I absolutely love Christmas movies, though last night you might not have been able to tell that if you were at my house because um, I've officially become my dad, and I'll tell you why. Because it was uh, 7 o'clock, and uh, we were getting ready to, uh, to watch Home Alone, and uh, I watched about five minutes of it, maybe, uh, and the next thing I know is no one else is there, and my wife is waking me up, and she's like, yeah, you've been snoring, so let's go to bed. But uh, today, uh, so what we're going to do today is we are going to see some clips from um, a, a, a Christmas movie, and then we are going to see how they point us to truths about God, ourselves, and the world that, that we live in. So today's feature mu- movie is from uh, a book. It's actually an adaptation. It's been turned into three different movies up to this point. It was the top-selling movie of the year 2000, good old 2000, Y2K. Uh, and also, this movie was directed by Ron Howard, you know, Opie, uh, good old Opie, and uh, was narrated by Sir Anthony Hopkins, and it starred. Jim Carrey as the Grinch. So today we are doing the Grinch who stole Christmas. I, I absolutely love this movie, and uh, and I'm not sure if you've watched it. Probably have. You've at least watched one of the versions of of the movie. This is one of my favorite. I, I love Jim Carrey in in this role. And we are going to begin today by watching our opening clip, which is going to introduce us to what is really the the central issue in. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So, check it out. Merry Christmas! Thank you for coming. Wait a second! Don't forget your change! Another minute closer to Christmas! And for the next five minutes only, 99% off! Yes. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. Ah, it's so sinister. So we we find out that uh, the Who's absolutely love Christmas, but for some reason, the Grinch does not. Well, in our next scene, the Grinch decides to... Uh, it's getting close to Christmas. He decides to put on a disguise and go down to Whoville so he can cause a few issues and just see what's going on. So let's check it out. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, go back to Ho 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 and Scab. Oh, my. Someone has vandalized that vehicle. You see, Max, the city is a dangerous place. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Top of the day. Flatfoot. Now, please, don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Hey, kids, here's a present for you. Be sure to run real fast with it now. Come on, double time. Let's go. Move, 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 It could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. 
So there's this question of why does the Grinch hate Christmas? And the narrator is, is helping us to, he, he's giving some hypo, maybe, maybe his shoes are too tight, I don't know. But most likely it's because his heart is what? Two sizes too small. Well, there is another character in this movie named uh, Cindy Lou Who, and everyone else in Whoville has kind of written off the Grinch, but, but she hasn't. She still believes that he could come to love Christmas, but she goes on this journey to figure out why, like why, what happened to the Grinch, and so she goes and starts interviewing people. She interviews the people that raised the Grinch, and she interviews his classmates. Well, the next scene is one of the flashback scenes that gives us some in, insight into the Grinch's life. He's, uh, he's at school, they're preparing for Christmas, and they've been told that uh, the next time they come to school that they can uh, bring a gift for someone. And, uh, and there, there's a little love connection between the Grinch and Martha May. So let's check this out. Everybody say, the fires of love. Baby, make a little wish. This will be perfect on the top of a tree. Oh, Martha. Oh, Christmas. you've been dreaming of. Christmas of love. I want you all to look your best tomorrow. You don't have a chance with her. You're eight years old and you have a beard. Everyone given their gifts? I haven't. Merry Christmas, Martha May. Why do you have a bag on your head? Probably because he's embarrassed by that idiot's gift. <laughs> Mr. Grinch, please take the bag off. Yes, you take it off. Put the book down. And your foot. Look at that hat job. The muscles. The muscles. I love that part. I had, had to give you that. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. So we're given some insight that the Grinch didn't always hate Christmas. He actually had a, a love for Christmas, was excited about it. But then uh, because of his experience, he, uh, he turns away and starts to hate Christmas. And that's when he treks off and goes to live on his own. And his heart just kept getting harder and harder toward uh, toward. Uh, Christmas and smaller and smaller. Well, um, a big part of this this movie is about change. And uh, just as Cindy Lou Who had wanted to see change in the Grinch, in our final scene, um, the Grinch has tried to steal away everybody else's joy. He's like, you know what? If nobody else, is, if I'm not happy, no one's going to be. So he steals all the presents and thinks. 
that's going to steal away everyone's Christmas joy, but much to his surprise, he experiences something different. And this is really significant to, to understanding where we're going in today's message. So for our last scene, check it out. Then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. Huh? Huh? But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. <laughs> Mr. Grinch! And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. Doesn't. Come from a store. Maybe Christmas. Perhaps. Means a little bit more. And then, well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. <laughs> I'm feeling! <laughs> it's great. So the story of the Grinch is really the story of someone having a change of heart. And uh, if you're taking me- uh, notes today, I-, I hope that you will, whether you just put them on your phone, write them down, snap a picture. Um, here's the big idea that is going to guide us, and I'll give you the scripture for today. It is this, true change always flows from a heart of faith. True change always flows from a heart of faith. And the key that we're going to talk about is about the heart. And our, our verse for today comes from Proverbs 4.23. If you would, I'd love for you to stand with me, and we're going to read this scripture together. 
Um, we get to the reference, uh, Proverbs 4, you see two dots. We like to have a little fun. We like to get our fist and go dot, dot. You can uh, play along if you'd like. But if you would, let's read this together. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4, dot, dot, 23. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, these moments belong to you. You've given us your scripture to speak to us. We ask that through uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit that you will uh, speak to us, uh, convict us. Uh, God, if there are any that need to have changes of heart based on what we're going to explore, that uh, that you will move them toward that. God, help us to uh, to all leave here different than we came in. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks so much for reading that scripture with me. Um, so we're going to be talking about the heart. We see this uh, in the Grinch where he has a heart that's two sizes too small to this moment where um, he comes to this revelation about, about Christmas and his heart grows, his heart changes. Well, to help us to, to get started, to understand what the scripture means when it talks about the heart, we have to understand the way that we think of, we use the heart in our culture. Now, we know physically what the heart does. It's pumping blood and moving things, but we use it as a metaphor all the time. And most of the time when we do that, we are referring to our hearts as, as the center of our feeling, uh, the, the center of our emotions. And, and we have a dichotomy between the head and the heart. In, in, our, in our way of speaking about it, thinking and analyzing, that's what you do with your, your head, that's what you do with your mind, uh, and with your heart, that's where you have feeling, and these things are opposed to each other. Uh, I'll even give you an example from our culture that, that kind of speaks to this, um, and it's from a Selena Gomez song that says, the heart wants what it wants. I know, good old Selena. All right, here we go. So, uh, so notice this. I want you to notice the contrast, that this head-heart dichotomy. Save your, what, advice, because I won't hear. You may be right, but I don't care. There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be famous. We'll leave that to Lane. So, um, it's interesting because it's really built on this idea of the, the it's, it's almost like, you know what, I'm going to shut off my mind. And we have all these phrases like, just follow your heart. Just listen to your heart. And what that means is turn off your brain and just go with whatever you're feeling. And, and let's all admit, that is not good advice, okay? That just does not lead to good places. But here's where this becomes a problem for us, because we take that, un, that metaphor of the heart and we apply that when we read the scripture. We often bring our culture, read it into the scripture, but what we're going to see is that um, what our, how our culture thinks about the heart is very different than how the Bible portray, portrays it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to explore four truths that come from the scriptures about our hearts. Uh, four truths about our hearts. And so uh, here is the first thing that I want us to see is, number one, the heart in the scripture represents the total inner life of a person. So it involves the things that we often just associate with, with our mind. It's, it, according to the scripture, every time that you see something about the heart, it is talking about us as our entire inner life. 
Let's look back at the, the verse that we started with, Proverbs 4.23. Notice what it says. It says to guard your heart above all else. Why? For it determines the course of your life. So according to scripture, when it's using the metaphor of the heart, it's saying that the heart is actually what directs us. And, and if you want to follow the right directions, then it has to do with your heart. Now, I've got, I put together a graphic that helps explain how the Bible uses the word heart. Now, and I've got some scripture reference. If you want to take a picture and read some of these, I could have multiplied. I just wanted to give you one example of each. Well, notice that um, the one thing that we associate is feeling with the heart, okay? That, that's one way where the Bible and our culture, we sync up. Um, we do. We have emotions that rise up in our heart. And in, that, in this verse reference, it says that do not fear in your heart. But notice something that's a little different. That, it, according to the biblical understanding, the metaphor of the heart, the heart also does what? Thinks. Our heart thinks. In the verse that, that's up there, it, it's this idea of I remember with my heart and I meditate in my heart. Remembering and meditation, that's normally what we think about in our, in our minds, but according to the Bible, it's the heart that does that. And the very last thing, what does it say that the heart does? It chooses. Your heart actually makes decisions. So when we encountered the word heart, it's not just about emotions, it's about, it's about our thinking, it's about analyzing, it's about, it is about feeling, but it's also about Choosing The verse um, that in reference, 2 Corinthians says that it's in reference to giving. It says each person should give as they have decided in their heart. So this is a picture of what the Bible means when it is referencing the heart. But now that brings us to something else that we see about the heart. Number two, there is a problem with the human heart. There's a problem with the human heart. See, what we see is that God created us, all of us, to be people who our hearts beat for him. But along the way, there's, there's a problem is that, is that given the opportunity, our hearts actually don't follow the things that God says. Instead, we turn away from him. And think about this. It, it, just consider those areas of your heart, your thinking, your feeling, and your choosing. And ask yourself, ha, have you ever thought things that were contrary to things that God tells you to think about? Yeah, right? Ha, have your emotions ever been out of whack? Yep. Have you ever made choices that were out of line with what God said and, and where he told us to go? So we, we kind of intuitively understand that there is a problem. Now, I, when my daughter, Alora was 11 months old, we went to uh, an appointment, just a regular, uh, a regular checkup, and the doctor was listening to her heart. And the doctor, she just kept listening and going back and forth. And I was like, spend a whole lot of time. I was like, this is, this is kind of strange. And she looks at us and she says, I hear something I've never heard here before. She goes, I hear this little murmur. It may be nothing, or it may be something really serious. And I was like, really? That's the options? Like, that's what you give us? Like, and just leave us? And like, I mean, young parents, like, right? That's, that's a frightening prospect. So we end up going, having all these echocardiograms and all this stuff. And it turns out at 11 months old, that our daughter, when she was born, her heart had a hole in it the size of a quarter. 
that, that's a big size if you're in a little heart, right? And so we found out that there was something wrong with her heart. Now, everything on the outside seemed like everything was, was just fine, but there was actually something broken. And so I want you to sit back and just listen to how Scripture describes our hearts because we've become disconnected from God. This is what Scripture says, Romans one twenty one. For although they, or we could say we, knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor give thanks to him. This idea is like even though God has made his, his, uh, the reality that he exists clear, that we suppress that truth and we turn away from it, we don't honor him as we should, but their thinking became futile and their, what's it say? Foolish hearts were darkened. To have a foolish heart is the opposite of having a wise heart. So we already see that that advice of just follow your heart, it's not good. It's like, hey, do some foolish stuff, right? And our hearts become darkened. So those are two phrases. Uh, how about this one from Proverbs 28, verse 14? Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into what? Trouble. So there, there's this contrast between the, the person, the heart that, that trembles before God, the one that acknowledges the greatness of God and who he is, that, that just sees him as the holy God and turns to him, versus what's the other option? We start to harden our hearts. If you want to see an example of this, look at the example of Pharaoh in the Old Testament, that, that even though he's given opportunities to listen to God, he chooses not to do it. And over and over and over, the scriptures keep saying, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Eventually, he got to a point of, of no return where his, his heart was so hard, he ends up uh, perishing and, and dying in that condition. I'll give you one more scripture. Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I mean, we may say the heart wants what it wants, but that's the problem. Sometimes what our heart wants is not what we should want. Sometimes the things that we pursue are not the things that we should pursue. And let's be honest, the, the scripture just painted a pretty stark contrast about our hearts, right? And the truth is, is that maybe you've never encountered this reality of, of the human heart. Maybe in your mind, you're just like, oh, man, I just think people are, are basically good. And you know, if you thought that, you would be in line with our general approach and culture. But the question to ask is, is that true? Is that in line with what Scripture has just said about humanity and the human heart? And I, I, I thought I would get some help from another singer this time for uh, our country singers. Luke Bryan uh, in this song says this. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are what? So there's a, a, an acknowledgement. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on Luke Bryan. But, you know, the truth is, is that music often reflects what we think. And, and I would propose that if we hold this lyric up to what we just learned about the scripture, we would have to say that's not true. We see a lot of bad in the world, and that badness has to flow from somewhere. And according to scripture, it flows from our hearts. And no, people are not basically good. Now, no. We get this wrong sometimes because we look and we see people doing good things, right? Or what we deem as good. 
but we've just had this, this spiritual evaluation of our hearts, and Scripture says, no, we're not at our base good because we've turned away from God. So everything about us, all of our capacities, have been influenced by sin. We've turned away from God. And at this point, if, if you thought about what the, the main idea of the message was, the big idea, it says that true change flows from a heart of faith. We've just read a scriptural evaluation that says that in our, its natural state, the human heart is not a heart of faith. It's a heart that's turned away from God. It's become foolish, become darkened, it's deceitful. It doesn't beat for God like it should. And that puts us in a dilemma because if it takes a heart of faith to experience change, but our hearts aren't filled with faith, how are we ever going to change? Have you ever been at a point of your life where you look at yourself and you see things in you coming out of you, the way that you speak, your actions, and you wish that it wasn't that way? And you're, like, you're trying to evaluate and you're trying to make changes, but it just doesn't seem like you can stick with it. Because we often work on the things that we can see, we try to change behavior. You know, even, to, even within the church, we've sometimes been guilty of this. What we've done is we've looked at people and, and we've said, okay, what you need to do is you need to start doing this and stop doing this, and then start doing this and stop doing this. What we're doing at that point is we're just trying to change people's behavior, but if you haven't addressed the root issue, if you haven't addressed the heart issue, Eventually, that change isn't going to stick. So I want you to consider this question. If true change flows from the heart of faith, but our hearts are bad, how will we ever experience true and lasting change? How's it going to happen? And some of you have been carrying around some issues, and you've just hit this brick wall, and you don't know why. And it may be because you haven't really addressed the heart of the matter, which brings us to the third point. God knows our hearts and can do what? Let's talk about that first part. God knows our hearts. Think of it like this. God is like our, our spiritual cardiologist. And he can look into each of our hearts and see exactly what's there. Other people may not evaluate it. You know, one thing my wife uh, got me into uh, is I, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, and in particular, okay, yeah. And I also uh, have, uh, this sounds horrible and fascinating, but I, I like uh, learning about serial killers, okay? That's, uh, that's something I do. But here's what's really interesting about it. Do you know so often people have no idea what was happening? They've been living at home with this person. They, they might have been like teaching in a church and, and like doing all this amazing stuff, but deep inside, they had all of these secrets. Can I tell you that the God of the universe is never fooled by what's happening on our outsides? Because he can look in and know exactly what's happening in our hearts and evaluate us perfectly. That's the reason the scripture says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that people look where? At the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. Proverbs 21.2. A person may think that their own way is right, but the Lord does what? Weighs the heart. He evaluates the heart. 
He, he puts it in his scales. Now the next verse, Jeremiah 17.10, comes in answer to a verse we read just a moment ago. You remember the verse that says, the heart is deceitful? Above all things, it's, it can't be cured. Who can understand it? Well, here's the verse that follows right after it. I, the Lord, do what? Search the heart, examine the mind. It's this Hebrew parallelism. So God perfectly knows you and I. He knows exactly what's in our heart. He has a perfect view. Everybody else may not be able to know that, but God does. And that brings us to the second part. That God can not only know our heart, but God also can change our heart. And, and this is the thing that we recognize, that the heart cannot be cured. What we need is actually a heart transplant. We need a change of heart. Now I want you to look at this scripture from Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me give you the context of it. This is a, a, a prophet sent by God to speak to God's people, the Israelites. God had rescued them from slavery they should have been worshiping him and following him, but they did the opposite of everything God told them to do. They were running after idols. They were being disobedient. Why? Because their hearts had turned away from God. So in their thinking, their feeling, and their choices, they were doing everything that was opposed to what God had said. And now God comes to them in the midst of the brokenness. He evaluates their hearts, and he had all the right to say, because your hearts have turned against me, I want nothing else to do with you, but that's not what we see coming from God. Instead, God gives some promises about what he will do. Notice those words that are highlighted, I will. And notice what God promises to do. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will, notice this, give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, Scripture helps us to see something, that change doesn't happen from the outside in. Change has to happen from the inside out. And it has to be this, this, this miracle work of God where God takes out these hearts of stone that are not beating for him. And he gives us these hearts that do beat for him. That's the reason that, that change is only temporary until you've actually worked on the source. Until there's actually been a change inside of you. Now there are many of you that are listening right now that you've experienced this very promise that God foretold. You have experienced this, this moment where you turned to God and said, God, I, I can't do it. I, I, I can't bring about change in myself. Only you can do that. And, and God did this, this miracle inside of you where he, he took out this heart of stone and gave you this heart of flesh and he put his spirit within you and now your heart is beating for God. Not meaning that you're perfect, but now you have a new heart that's functioning as it should. Your thoughts, your emotions, your choices begin to be aligned with what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be. But there may be some of you that are, that are here that are still working with that, that old heart. 
question is, how, how do you get a new heart? It's the last point. God will give you a heart if you believe. Believe what? I want you to notice this. Romans 10, 9. What's the first word? If. Now, I want you to think about everything we've learned about the heart. The heart's not just emotions, it's thoughts, it's everything. I want you to keep that in mind as you read this scripture. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe where? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, the reason that you can proclaim Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, is because there's something that's happened in your heart. You've considered the, the, the evidence, you've thought about it, you've analyzed it, and, and your feelings, and then through your heart you make a choice that says, yes, I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. See, we're in a Christmas season right now, we're celebrating the coming of Jesus, where, where he stepped into human flesh, and that's the beginning of his mission. And his mission led him to the cross, and, and then the cross led him to the grave, but then the grave did not hold him, and he was raised from the dead after three days. And, and, and Paul says, if you want this new heart, if you want this change, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to actually believe that with all that you are. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I want you to consider this question. If God did a spiritual echocardiogram of your heart, what would he see? If you were on the, on the table of God, so to speak, and he's evaluating your heart, what do you see? There's only two options. He either sees that old heart with all the problems that come with it, that heart that's not beating for him, or he sees a new heart, the one that's been given by faith, the one that God comes in and renovates us from the inside out. And here's why this is important. For some of you, you've already experienced this, this new heart. But maybe you've been walking around with this idea, you know, everybody's good, no problems, it's fine. But there are people walking all around us that are trying to find change, but they're trying to do it all through the wrong ways. And what they need is they need an encounter with Jesus and they need this heart change that I'm speaking of. And this is the season when we should have our hearts and we look at the world, not because we're better, but we say, hey, the same thing that happened to me, I had God renovate my heart to change my heart that we should look around and you're going to be gathering with people over in, in, in these holidays with your family, with your friends, with co-workers and people that need to hear this good news message. And then there's some of you that you've yet to have that heart change and you know that if God does a spiritual echocardiogram, he's going to say it's not good. So I'm going to leave you with this verse and then a question. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Here's what I want you to know, is that you could have came in here with a broken heart and a bad heart, but you can leave here with a new heart through faith in Jesus. That's the beautiful promise of the gospel. This is the point where you say amen to that.
And here's the win. This is like ball in your court. Done the best that I can to try to point you to the reality of what Scripture says. But now, here, here's where you're at that, that point, that line in the sand. Would you earnestly pray this prayer from Psalm 139.23? Search me, God, and know my heart. Would you be willing to just come before the God of the universe and say, God, what do you see? And then respond accordingly. If you know what he sees is this old heart that does not beat for him, are you at that place to say, God, you're my, I call out to you as my Lord, believe in my heart, my Lord, and help me to change it from the inside out. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for the scripture that helps us to evaluate ourselves. God, I pray for the one that has been listening today and they know that their heart is not in the condition that it needs to be. I pray that you would give them the strength, the courage to turn to you, to call out to you. God, we know based on your word that you promise that you will give us new hearts. You will put a right spirit within us will bring about the change that we need. And God, for everyone that has experienced that new heart change, I pray that you would convict us for the moments when we do not have that on our mind, we do not think about it for other people, but that we would instead, that we would uh, celebrate the light coming into the world, we would speak to people about the truth of Jesus, and that you would work through us to help point people to new life in Jesus and to this heart change that is gifted to us from God. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed and learned from today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check out our website at nextlevelchurch.net or find us on Facebook or Twitter. 